Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we inoculate your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this Blast from the Past edition, we have a science quiz by Celine Steinfeld with Jackie Hayes and Sarah Wood from 2009. And from 2006, Lindsay Gray brings light to glowworms. But first, here's vaccine and hot air news from 2021. Vaccines prevent more than their target illness. People who have been vaccinated against the influenza virus have been found to get sick with COVID-19 less often and tend to have less severe cases of COVID-19 if they do get it. Evidence for tuberculosis vaccine helping protect against COVID-19 is also mounting. Researchers at the University of Michigan reviewed medical records for more than 27,000 patients who were tested for COVID-19 between March and mid-July of 2020. Of the nearly 13,000 who'd received a flu shot in the previous year, only 4% tested positive for COVID-19. Of the 14,000 who hadn't had the flu jab, nearly 5% tested positive for COVID-19. This association might seem really small, but it's statistically significant. Even after controlling for other variables, including ethnicity, gender, age, body mass index, smoking status, and other health issues. It looks as if people who've had a flu shot had a 24% lower chance of contracting COVID-19. In countries like Australia, where COVID vaccines are still scarce, this is important. The flu-vaccinated patients were also less likely to require hospitalisation or ventilation for coronavirus infection, and their hospital stays were shorter on average. A non-peer-reviewed preprint study from Dutch researchers in 2020 reported that among Dutch hospital workers who'd received the flu vaccination ahead of the 2019-2020 flu season, COVID-19 occurred significantly less often than among those who'd not had the flu vaccine. What could be the mechanism? Our innate immune defence system is separate to the antibody immune system targeted by vaccination. Our innate immune defence system includes phagocytes and dendritic cells that ingest harmful foreign particles, and also cytokine proteins that take part in immune reactions and inflammatory processes. The Dutch research team also conducted a laboratory experiment to test if innate immune system activation is the reason flu shots could help prevent coronavirus infections. First, they purified blood cells taken from healthy individuals. Then they exposed some of these cells to the Vaxigrip tetraflu vaccine made by Sanofi Pasteur and let the cells grow for six days. After that, the researchers exposed the cells to SARS-CoV-2 virus and analysed them one day later. 
the cells that had first been primed with the flu vaccine produced more virus-fighting cytokines than did those that had not been exposed to the flu vaccine. If you produce these molecules while you have full-blown COVID-19, they can hurt you, inciting a cytokine storm, which can damage many body organs. However, cytokines produced early in the infection process are helpful because they get rid of the pathogen, making the infection milder. So perhaps flu vaccines are helping our bodies produce cytokines that fight off all kinds of infections. In two papers, one published in the journal Vaccines in September 2020 and the other in the Journal of Medical Virology in June 2020, researchers found that rates of COVID-19 infection were lower in regions of Italy where higher percentages of adults aged 65 and older had received a flu vaccine. Research from 2013 showed that a flu shot also reduces the risk of heart attack by 45%, and hospitalisation due to heart failure. The tuberculosis bacillus Carmet-Guerin vaccine may offer protection against COVID-19 and other diseases by the same innate immune system mechanism. Nearly two dozen clinical trials around the world are underway to determine whether or not the Bacillus Carmet-Guerin vaccine against tuberculosis could protect against COVID-19. Bacillus Carmet-Guerin vaccine has been linked to a reduced risk of infections and reduction of overall child mortality, even when tuberculosis is not spreading in a particular region. In the Dutch team's new, yet-to-be-published study, they exposed a subset of immune cells to the tuberculosis bacillus Carmet-Guerin vaccine before the flu vaccine. They found that exposure to both vaccines increased cytokine production even more than the flu vaccine alone. In a preprint paper released in July, researchers at the Mayo Clinic and the biomedical computing company Inference found that adults who had received vaccines for flu, polio, chickenpox, measles, mumps, rubella, Haemophilus influenza type B, hepatitis A or B, or pneumococcal disease, over the past five years were less likely to test positive for COVID-19 than people who'd not received any of the vaccines. Epidemiological studies from 2015 showed that children vaccinated against measles still had a higher immunity to a variety of pathogens than non-vaccinated children up to five years after the vaccination took place. Ask your doctor about getting the flu vaccine to prevent the flu, which can be life-threatening, even if you're young and healthy. A study by Public Health England of cases from January to April 2020 also found that people sick with both COVID-19 and flu were more at risk of severe illness. Most cases of people with both viruses were in older people, and more than half of them died. Evidence is mounting that vaccinations can protect against more than just the disease they are designed to prevent. The paper, showing reduced COVID-19 infection after flu vaccination, was titled Impact of the Influenza Vaccine on COVID-19 Infection Rates and Severity, and was published in the American Journal of Infection Control. Links to the other papers and preprints will be on the show notes page for this episode. Farm Dispatched Australian Federal Resources Minister Keith Pitt has blocked a $280 million loan from the Northern Australia Infrastructure Facility that would have seen the Caban Green Power Hub built, 
which comprised a 157 megawatt wind farm and a 100 megawatt battery, which would have created hundreds of jobs. Instead, the federal government has approved a new natural gas power station costing $600 million to be built in New South Wales completely at federal government expense. This is the same federal government that pushed to privatise power around Australia because they don't believe governments should be in the power business. Resource Minister Keith Pitt claimed he blocked the loan needed to build the wind farm and battery because his government only approves the generation of dispatchable power. That is, power that can be dispatched as needed by the power grid. The problem is that wind farms with batteries do provide dispatchable power. The battery makes their power dispatchable even when the wind isn't blowing. Mr Pitt was asked about this discrepancy on Sky News by reporter Tom Connell. Okay, so can you tell me though what size, for a 157 megawatt wind farm, what size battery do you need to make it dispatchable? Uh, well, Tom, what I can tell you is that intermittent wind and solar... Is, can, that's a not, basic question. ..is not dispatchable. But it is with a battery if it's big enough. Uh, well, I've made a decision based on what... Yeah, but hang on, but that's just a basic question. I know you've got an engineering background. Hmm. Solar or wind is not dispatchable unless it has a battery. That's true, right? Depending on the size of the battery. Oh, well, unless it's got other sources. It could be hybrid, it could be gas, it could be uh, tied up with a hydro, it could be pumped hydro. There's any number could of could be battery. could be diesel. could be battery. Uh, it could be any number of things. But it could be a battery. <laughs> Tom, as I've said many times. Well, yeah, I just don't understand why you won't agree that it could be... ..that a battery can back up a wind farm. Uh, well, as I've said, it comes down to a whole pile of decisions, including uh, capacity, availability... But I'm not going to that. I'm just asking, can a battery back up a wind farm? Uh, well, once again, how, how big is it? How long does it run for? What right. is it you want it to do? Well, a big enough battery, can it back up a wind farm? Well, this is pretty broad and hypothetical, Tom. <laughs> well, it just seems like a simple question. If a battery's big enough, it can back up a wind farm, right? Mm, how big's big enough? Well, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> That's the exact question. OK. All right. We'll move on. Clark and Dorr couldn't have done better. You're listening to Ian Wolfe on Diffusion Science Radio. Send emails to science at diffusionradio.com. We're brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. From 2006, here's Lindsay Gray illuminating a story of fascinating flies with alluring bioluminescent backsides. I went on an adventure last week to the Wollamai National Park in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales and I went for a very exciting exploration around a locality known as Nunes, which is about 30 kilometres from the mining and tourist town of Lithgow. If I'd visited Nunes any time between the 1900s and the 1930s though, I would have had a very different experience indeed. Turns out Nunes was once home to a large shale industry where shale was mined and subsequently refined into oil, primarily kerosene. The topography around Nunes is anything but flat, and many deep cuttings and tunnels had to be carved into the huge sandstone outcrops and cliffs that characterise the region. A railway line existed between Nunes and Lithgow, and steam trains laden with shale products regularly made their way via the cuttings and tunnel through the rough terrain. 
When burnt, shale oil doesn't release as much energy as an equivalent mass of coal would. And as a great deal of coal was being discovered in the Lithgow region in the first half of the 20th century, shale mining at Nunes became comparatively unprofitable. By 1940, the entire railway line was dismantled and the mining infrastructure was abandoned. Though almost every sleeper and every piece of track was carried away, some features of the Wallamai Railway could not be removed. And lucky for us, and some baby flies, the two impressive tunnels carved out over a hundred years ago remain. The longest tunnel runs through the sandstone for over 400 metres, and as it is a semicircle in formation, sunlight cannot penetrate from one end to the other. I can testify that a walk taken through the cold and damp tunnel is made in spooky pitch-black darkness. Turns out, damp, dark caves are the habitat of choice for a very peculiar fly known as a fungus gnat. It looks something like a mosquito. And in the 56 years since the last bellowing steam train plunged through our tunnel, fungus gnat larvae have colonised its moist roof and walls. Fungus gnat larvae are more affectionately known as glowworms, and our tunnel is in turn affectionately known as the glowworm tunnel. But as fungus gnats are a type of fly, and as fly larvae are technically called maggots, the tunnel should really be called the glow maggot tunnel. Let's see if it catches on. So why would our gnat maggots want to live on and glow from the walls of a pitch black tunnel? Well, we can get to the bottom of this problem by heading to the bottom of the fungus gnat maggot. Literally. Inside the rear end of every tiny maggot lie a pair of excretory ducts known as malphigian tubules. These are sort of analogous to our kidneys. The terminal ends of these tubules lie very near the surface of the maggot's skin, and it is from these that the blue light generated by the maggots emerges. The blue light, shining from the maggots behind, is then focused into a small prey-luring snare. And this snare is attached to the maggot's backside. Light is first channelled into a skinny thread of strong silk, and this is spun by the maggot. This thread behaves as an optical fibre. Light rays can pass longitudinally down through the thread, but they cannot escape out through its sides. The blue light travels straight down the thread for about two centimetres, where it enters a very sticky blob-like structure, also made by the maggot, composed of silk and mucus. Unlike inside the optical fibre thread, light rays can escape through the sides of the mucusy blob, and the blob glows a beautiful icy blue. Not all the light rays are lost through the mucus blob though, and some are rechanneled into another length of optical fibre thread on the blob's other side. Each fungus gnat maggot is able to construct a snare of up to six glowing blobs suspended by optical fibre silk. When viewed, each snare looks like a little row of stars snuggled into the rocky wall of the tunnel. The maggot's prey, which are typically small flying insects that are attracted to light, including adults of their own species, become glued to the sticky blobs. The prey's presence is registered by the maggot's bottom by vibrations received via the silk thread. The maggot will then turn off its glow and emerge from its hide at the end of the snare to consume its meal. So how on earth do maggot kidneys make blue light? It's thanks to an amazing molecule known as luciferin, so named after Lucifer, which literally means light bearer. Luciferin is abundant in the cells at the end of the maggot's malphigian tubules, and through altering the amount of energy delivered to the luciferin molecules in these cells, the maggots can turn their lights on and off. When just the right amount of energy is supplied, the luciferin molecule joins with an oxygen atom to form a very unstable compound called oxyluciferin.
The chemical bonds that form between oxygen and luciferin have a lot of energy tied up in them. But because oxyluciferin is so unstable, these energetic bonds quickly break, releasing all of their energy. Unlike in many chemical reactions, the energy released is not in the form of heat, but in the form of light. Up to 100% of the energy released through the breakdown of oxyluciferin is cold light. Thousands of organisms can bioluminesce thanks to their possession of oxygen and luciferin. From mushrooms and millipedes to plankton and now genetically engineered potatoes. In fact, if you visit the sea at night, splash your hands in a rock pool and you'll see thousands of planktonic organisms brightly bioluminesce. Female fungus gnats lay their eggs directly onto the walls of the glowworm tunnel and they quickly hatch into maggots. These maggots live on prey caught via their glowing snares for a few months until they grow to about 3 centimetres. The maggots then enter pupation and after a period of a week or two they emerge as adults. Adult fungus gnats are poor flies and the poor pets only live for a few days. If you'd like to visit the Nunes Glowworm slash Glow Maggot Tunnel, keep in mind that the maggots don't like torches being shined directly on them. It frightens them and they turn off their food-gathering snare. And please don't touch the snares. It destroys them. Thank you, Lindsay, for showing us that light really can shine out of at least one organism's arse. And finally, from 2009, here's a science quiz for you to play along at home with trivia hostess Celine Steinfeld, along with Jackie Hayes and Sarah Wood. Now here's Caitlin with a science quiz for you to play along at home, and remember, no Google cheating. Yeah, now don't worry guys, these will be some nice simple questions, uh, a little bit similar to are you smarter than a fifth grader, perhaps? <laughs> Ooh, I don't know man, those are yeah. really hard questions. Yeah. Alright, what have you got for us today? Well, uh, I've got a bit of a quiz style, so I want you guys to jump in if you know the answer. Also jump in if you've got any other cool facts or topics or anything else that's related, but um, I am keeping tally. Okay, so cool. You know. Alright, and do we have buzzers? Yeah, can you test your buzzer, please, Jackie? Uh. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> One more time there. I don't think we got that. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> Lovely. And Woody as well. <laughs> okay, nice. Sounds like a... Uh, great. Those are some bee. great buzzers that we prepared earlier. A bee and a train. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, keeping score here. What is the largest creature ever to have roamed the Earth? Is it the Tyrannosaurus Rex? No. Can we throw it over to Woody, though? Give her a go. I'll give you a clue. This animal is actually still alive today. I was going to say oh, that's the blue whale. It is actually the blue whale. And I thought whales don't roam. Yeah, they, they cruise like or swim or something. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading too much into the question. All right, question two. I'm going to make a comeback. Okay, question number two. Which organ of the adult blue whale is the size of a small car? Whoop, whoop. This was going to be multiple choice. Would you like to wait for the Yes, uh, I'd like to. Well, yeah. Hurry up. I didn't know it was multiple choice. <laughs> All right. We've got A, brain, mm. B, heart, mm-hmm. or C, tongue. Oh. <laughs> okay, I was, I was actually going to say the penis, so that's not one of the options. So I'm glad I waited for the multiple choice. I'm going to say the tongue. The tongue. Actually, I'm going to say the brain. Uh, neither of you were correct in oh. that one. It is actually the heart. All right, question oh. three. I'm making a comeback. I'm making a comeback. How many litres of milk can a baby blue whale drink in just one day? Did you get all of these facts from the same website, it's like Caitlin? bluewhalefacts.com. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably a website. There will be other questions in here. This okay, how many litres of milk? It's the blue is whale mo- section. Is this, <laughs> is this mo- it's the largest section in the world. Um, so, on, this there, will be multiple choice. Is there multiple choice? Okay, yep. go. The options are A, 65 litres of milk a day. 
B, 165 litres of milk a day, or C, 365 litres of milk a day? I'm going to go with C. I'm going to go with B. I'm going to go with B. One point over to Woody here. Yay! Oh, my God. I'm getting nailed in this. Oh, it's the blue whale section. It's ecology versus physics over here. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of an unfair advantage. Have you got any questions on quantum physics? (laughs) Well, we do have something that you might be good at here, Jackie. Name the four closest planets to the sun in our solar system. The four closest to the sun. Absolutely. Uh, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars. And uh, for an extra point, the next one? Jupiter. <laughs> All right, we'll give you an well, extra point here. You're going to be even now. Unless you include the asteroid belt. Oh, oh, almost want to give an extra point here. All right, all right, I'm back in the game. You are, we've got two all now. Okay. Back to some ecology questions here. I'm sorry, but this was my field of expertise and I didn't actually Google any of these things. All right, here we go, (laughs) scientific rumours. The uh, the Great Barrier Reef is expected to become 97% bleached if the Earth's temperature rises by what percentage? Is it A, 1 degree Celsius, B, 2 degrees Celsius or C, 5 degrees Celsius? One, two, or five. I'm going to go A. One, two, or five. I'm got, gonna, I'll go B, two, then. We've got one degree over here with Woody. It's 97%. And we've got two degrees over here with Jackie, who's one on that round. So yes. Jackie's now in the lead with three oh. points. I want the, uh, the first person to buzz in, please, to give me a brief explanation of a vertebrate. What? <laughs> woot, woot. <laughs> <laughs> a vertebrate? Is an animal with a backbone. Fantastic, Woody. Three all now. This is a bit like a fifth grade. <laughs> Come on, question. What, what question are you up to? Okay. What's the percentage of nitrogen in the Earth's atmosphere? Bzz, bzz. Oh, no. Oh, I, that's, I'll what, let what? you have that one. <laughs> <laughs> I use my buzzer. <laughs> 78%. 78% is correct. Oh, and you got in first. I knew it was in the 70s. Quickly. What does ACDC stand for? Alternating current, direct current. I mean, you didn't woot, 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 woot. <laughs> Where's your buzzer? <laughs> woot, woot, All right, woot, we'll woot. still give you that one there, Jackie. Um, who actually invented the radio? Oh. Here we are on the radio. Oh. Who invented um, it? No idea. Um, well, this is an interesting story, actually, because a guy called Guglielmo Marconi, is who I was taught in school, invented the radio. It was actually a guy called Nikola Tesla, and people didn't know this for a very long time. And it was only after one day after Nikola Tesla's death that he was granted back the patent because uh, Marconi owned it for quite a number of years. Hmm. Uh, so what's the boiling point of liquid nitrogen? Oh, buzz. <laughs> Minus 198 degrees. Oh, I'm going to have to throw that one over to Jackie. Oh, oh minus 196 degrees. Very good. Point, point 0.4. 196.4. <laughs> Woody did get that one there. Uh, oh, no. Okay, so who that. won? Who won? Well, Tell him up. We've got um, Woody on four points and Jackie on five points. Oh, oh close. Booyah. Smack down. <laughs> Thank you, Celine, Jackie and Sarah. And now a budget announcement from Prime Minister Scott Morrison. Uh, We're here today to announce that we're announcing here today the announcement that we're announcing all of the announced measures of this announcement on the basis of the announcement we have made today. And at this stage, having just announced it, um, we'll be announcing further measures on uh, these matters uh, once they're finalised. Looking into the future, why here at the Bell Labs, it's part of our duty to look as far ahead as possible. The telephone of the future will be an even more prominent and versatile part of our lives than it is today. Later in the afternoon, Pat is browsing around a dress shop on her picture phone. 
A design in the new spring colors catches her eye. It's just what she could wear to the Bennetts for dinner. Equipment and materials needed to do the job are ordered over an advanced dataphone system, which reads the recorded information and transmits it to the data receiving center. Here, a dataphone receiving unit duplicates the ordering information, which is fed into data processing machines and electronic computers. The processed information on the ordered items is then dataphoned to the correct manufacturing, assembling, and shipping points around the world. A touch of a button and picture phones bring the conferees together. In seconds, company executives located around the world are deep in discussions over business details. Even printed material is exchanged among the group by telephonic machines, as if they were all in the same room. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please like the Diffusion Science Radio page on Facebook and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolfe. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Contributing to the show from the archives were Celine Steinfeld, Sarah Wood, Jackie Hayes and Lindsay Gray. I produced a fusion which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website www.diffusionradio.com That's www.diffusionradio.com and check the website for links, photos and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com where the shows are labelled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or Join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know, and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick, everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography, collecting, 
Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.